Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You are listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you would have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with your sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities, and then to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Enjoy the program. You're listening to BizTalk. I'm your host, Jim Lobato. On our program tonight, we have Dave Hansecker. Dave Hansecker is a regional sales manager for Agrigold here in Iowa. Dave, welcome to the program. Hello, Jim. Dave, we're going to talk tonight about your experience in sales management and sales leadership, hopefully give our audience some insight on what it takes to lead and direct salespeople in today's environment. So, Dave, let's do a little background first. Uh, How did you get into sales management? Well, as you know, Jim, in sixth grade, every young adult says they want to be in sales and sales management, of course. But on a more serious note, I had the opportunity coming right out of college to cut my teeth in 100% commission sales and really learn some valuable lessons through that. As success followed with that position, people took notice, felt they would give me a a try at uh, sales management, and it's all kind of history from there. So, like most people, you accidentally get into sales management, it sounds like. (laughs) Exactly. It wasn't a plan that I had set out and took a deg- got a degree in it or anything of that sort. It uh, was simply sales success followed after a lot of hard work and people noticed and offered me the opportunity. When they offered you the opportunity, you told us how you got into sales management. Why did you take the sales management role? I mean, you were successful in sales. Why take on all the pressures of sales management? My assessment that I've worked with you on specifically defines that I do like to make a difference. I like to make a difference in people's lives. I enjoy seeing people be successful. I had uh, got my coaching endorsement while in college and found that to be enjoyable to work with people and see them reach new levels, and it really evolved from there that I could find fulfillment through helping other people. Let's go back in time. We were introduced probably several years ago now. That seems like yesterday, but... If you can remember back to then, you were successful at what you're doing. Why were you seeking outside help? Well, as most sales managers, the bar is always set really high. Success is is never complete. So I had a desire to help my team reach higher levels and become more proficient. In addition to that, I found that I am genetically wired to find new ways and want to improve. As I've stated before, one of the quotes I have is, the day I stop improving and becoming better is the day they read my eulogy. And I truly mean that in that I don't feel I'll ever reach the pinnacle in sales or sales management. So that's how we came together. Tell me about your comment meaning genetically wired. It's something that I found No matter whether it's in my personal life or my business life, throughout college, I just found that I was always open and willing to set my ego aside for the betterment of my team, for the betterment of myself, and it's really served me well and my team well 
that I realize I've there's talents and gifts and skills that I've been blessed with, but at the same time there are incredibly talented people out there that can really benefit not only myself but my organization. We started working with you on hiring better salespeople. What did you learn about upgrading your sales force during that time? Probably the top two takeaways are, one, it takes a process. It's not shooting from the hip. It's not finding out that you have an opening and and it's time to start interviewing and it's time to start seeking people out. So putting a well-defined process in place that ensures when that opening comes up, that you are prepared and ready to fill it. So that's first and foremost. And secondly, that there's a science behind it. Again, it's not just a gut feel. It's not, I think this person is talented, but A, using your intuition, B, using the science to back that up were probably the two most important things I learned from your organization. And over the course of the last several years, Have you seen a difference in the type of salesperson you're hiring? I think we refined it. I think we had a hiring process in place, but we've done a much better job of refining it and hitting our target at a higher percentage and finding more success because of that. We don't have the turnover. We don't have putting people in positions that aren't as good a fit. And so, therefore, our sales numbers have followed that, and we found incredible success because we've got the right people in the right seats. After you upgraded your sales force, it became then a matter of holding them more accountable. How did you go about doing that? Well, I worked with your organization, Jim, and we started with a real simple uh, access file database and a way of tracking what we're actually doing. You know, if we don't measure it, we can't, we don't keep score. We don't know exactly where we're at. It's one thing to have great ideas. It's another thing to follow it through to the detail and ensure that you're measuring it, ensure people know what they're being measured on. Uh, People want to know what the expectations are of them. People want to be rewarded for those successes and for those expectations that you set out there. So it started with a real simple system, wasn't elaborate, wasn't spendy, wasn't expensive, and it evolved into a a more in-depth, in fact, it went company-wide. We are now on a complete CRM system and have found that to be an incredibly valuable tool. And I think the most rewarding and most valuable is the strong salespeople find that they utilize that tool to enhance their sales numbers, to enhance their sales business, and actually take ownership of it. It really has become a tool for, A, me as a manager to ensure I know where we're at and not looking in the rearview mirror, doing more of a forecasting, doing more advanced planning and uh, guiding my team. And then on the other side of that coin is the fact that the salespeople can find success and also find value in that tool to ensure that they're meeting the mark of their customers. You mentioned we started out pretty simple, just tracking thing in an access database. But do you remember some of the original things we were tracking? Oh, simple, you know, sales calls. How often are we in front of what type of a customer? Is it a current customer? Is it a prospect? Is it a suspect? Where are we at in the process? How many people do we have in the pipeline? goes back to the old funnel board that we used back when I first started with you, and it really just put it in an electronic format. And how was that initially accepted by your salespeople? 
Oh, with resistance. As most salespeople, they did not get into the sales business to be accountable. They got into the sales business to, to write their own script and do their own thing. So how were you successful at getting that implemented? Well, you have to show rewards. It's real simple. Salespeople do like rewards, and many of them, uh, depending on where they fall in the personality profile, are driven by short-term and long-term incentives and rewards. And So you have to show the benefits far outweigh any of the pain that they're going to endure to get there. And not everybody accepted it, depending on, like I said, we, we combined introducing the simple database with their personality profile so we knew before going into the scenario who we were going to get resistance from, what type of resistance we were going to get, and how we were going to handle that. So it was kind of an all-inclusive process, not just, again, and that's one of the bigger things I've taken away from your organization, Jim, is that you need to think this through to the nth degree, and you need to not just throw something out there and hope that it sticks, but take it down to the detail so that you ensure your success level is going to be very high. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Incredible amount of work. And something that most managers really would rather not do. Your company adopted a pretty sophisticated CRM system. I think it came a couple of years after you had started. Did getting this preliminary work done really set your team up to go to the more sophisticated system? Very much so. Yeah, we've spent millions on very sophisticated CRM system, and my team was mentally prepared for it, and they adopted it very quickly and found it to be a very beneficial tool. After you get this accountability under control, in your business, well, I say in most businesses, but particularly your business, getting referrals is golden, and everybody knows that, but very few people do it, or they know how to do it. But you were able to get your salespeople to get more referrals. How did you go about doing that? It took a lot of a lot of time and a lot of effort. Managers like to hatch these ideas and half bake them and and throw them out there and hope that they stick. But as a middle manager, you sell in both directions. I had to sell my management team above me that this system needed to be developed, it needed some time, it needed some funds, it needed some effort to really put uh, a quality product together. So I had to sell them, and then in turn I had to turn around and and sell my team. And the the first step of that process was to actually factualize where we were getting uh, most of our traction, where were we getting most of our customers. So I went to my top three or four recruiters, of, of new business, and I we simply had a simple survey, a simple questionnaire for them to answer, and I went down through each of their new accounts, and I asked them how they acquired those accounts. We came back with a conclusion that 83% of our new business was coming through referrals. So that was step one, to actually put some effort into it so management could buy into the idea that this is worth investing in. Step two was then to design, after we got approval for that, to design an extensive referral system that really prioritized who we were going to go get referrals from, our current customers. We had a, a pretty broad series of questions that we would answer in terms of age of the customer, adoption of new technology, number of bags they bought from us, loyalty to us, things that showed that they liked us, 
and that they were open-minded and innovative. So we ranked those people. After we ranked those people, we then, uh, through the process, created an actual program that rewarded that person for referring customers to us. And they had the opportunity to come in at three different levels. Level one was just simply give us some names, and we'll go take care of the rest. Level two was give us some names, and can we use your name to say that you like doing business with us? And if they were to want to call you to confirm that, would that be okay? So that was level two. Level three was actually going to lunch with us and actually making an endorsement for us at a lunch outing or something to that effect. The net result was my team has found great success in recruiting new business, which has resulted in exceeding our sales goals every year since I've implemented this, which has been about four years ago. So that one, two, three punch of upgrading your salespeople, holding more accountable, and then dialing into what was driving business, it seems has really paid off for you. Very much so. Yeah, in fact, my team has been one of the top three teams over the past four years. And in fact, we've been the number one team two out of those four years. We play second and third in the other two years. And how does your team feel about it? Excellent. If you subscribe to the, the Good to Great series, it's really that large wheel that gets, starts to get momentum that's really tough to stop when you get a team on the roll. Thinking back in your own career, Dave, to that first-year sales manager, think back to that. What advice would you give a person who's in their first year of sales management? Well, of course, Jim, I've got uh, many uh, wounds to show for experience, you know, and that's part of it. Unfortunately, you can't teach everything prior to signing on the first day of the job. But most importantly, I think building trust. When you give a person your word and you give them their commitment, you've just got to build trust, and you've got to work daily on that. It's simple as returning phone calls or following through on what you say you're going to do or returning emails. You know, I've got a zero-tolerance policy. My policy is that every email gets responded to from my team, and every phone call gets returned. And that's a simple thing, but for some people it seems to be hard to do. That's the foundation of building trust with your people. And then, like I said, doing what you say you're going to do. If you say you're going to make a commitment to, to do something for them, you better do it. What's the one piece of advice then you'd give a veteran sales manager today? Jim, back in when I first got into management, which was uh, 1994, I worked for a large organization, and they had their mission statement. It was shared with me. Again, I was I was in a opportunity to learn more and to become a better manager. They were shared with me that that's great that your corporation has a mission statement, but you need to create your own mission statement. And so I did that, and it stuck with me, and I think it's been key to my success, is first and foremost is hire the best. And a lot of people give that lip service and think they hire the best, but with tools that you've provided me with assessments and things of that sort, it's really helped me hone those skills and ensure I'm hiring the best. And if you don't do number one, number two and number three can't come into play. Number two is coach, motivate, and equip your people to become better tomorrow than what they are today, which has been key to my team reaching new levels. We expect every profession to go back and get continuing education, but it seems like the sales world the only continuing education is what they get in the field. Well, I tend to disagree with that and believe that people can become better and people need to become better in order to uh, return greater value to their company. And then thirdly and lastly is to take any obstacles out of their way. 
And what I mean by that is we've all got challenges, we've all got noise, we've all got head trash, things of that sort. We need to take, take those obstacles out of their way so they can get back to doing what they do best, which is selling. And if you don't do number one, hiring the best, then you can't do number two, which is coaching and motivating them because you're too busy dealing with putting out fires and refereeing. And as well, you can't do number three, which is take obstacles out of their way because you don't know what obstacles are really truly obstacles. Our audience may not be familiar with your industry, which is the seed corn business, and they may not be familiar with what's been going on in terms of the competition levels. But if people have been paying attention, they would have noticed that you've had some pretty big competitors come into your marketplace in the last several years. It's been extremely competitive. There's a lot of new technology that's driving innovation in your industry. And it appears to be under constant change. How have you stayed competitive in an environment which appears to be pretty turbulent at times? That's a great question. I really hate to oversimplify it. It comes back to people. It really comes back to hiring the best in the industry. You need to have confidence that your people are doing what they're supposed to be doing managing their business and taking ownership of their business. And I said this actually when I came in this organization to one of the top management. I believe in Lou Holtz's theory of hiring and that hire people that are smarter and better than you. I had shared that I hire people that are actually more competitive than anybody in this organization. He kind of took offense to that. If you don't start with the fundamentals of hiring the best and, once again, not just giving it lip service but actually investing in that, that's an investment. It's not just... We're going to go out and interview a bunch of people. We're going to, you know, do a, you know, ask a few better questions. It's an investment in the assessments. It's an investment in asking better questions. It's an investment in understanding their beliefs. Belief-based interviewing is not the easiest thing to learn, but it's the most important thing a person can do that you taught me, Jim, uh, through the process. So, yes, um, we're in a very competitive marketplace. We've got one of the largest competitors that owns a third of the marketplace, that actually is priced probably 20 to 25% below us, and they're doing that for a reason. They've got a ton of brand loyalty. They've been around forever, and they want to hold on to that business until they get some products to back it up. It totally makes sense to me. I totally understand how they're approaching the marketplace. And so they're pricing extremely low, and they've got a lot of brand loyalty. Not an easy uh, nut to crack. And then we've got to the other opposite end of the spectrum, We've got an extremely large competitor that as well has 30% of the marketplace. So two of our competitors own 60% of the business. Now, on that end of the spectrum, they've got very strong performance, very strong traits in the marketplace. Their pricing has come in line with where it needs to be. At one time, they were trying to buy the market share, but they've really done a better job of holding that value in the product. So it is incredibly competitive. So the only way you can really do a better job when you're the size of organization we are, which is in a, in a position of about 6 or 7% of the market, is you have to have better people. Products are products. Prices are prices. But if you don't go out there on the front lines with better people, you're going to get your lunch eaten. And that includes everything from the simplest concepts of asking better questions to the complexity of how to handle objections. My guys get more objections than anyone in the industry because we're not a known brand. We're not the big brand out there that people just go along with because their granddad did or their dad did. We've got to convince people daily to take a look at what we're offering. 
Dave, what's the next thing you're looking forward to and getting accomplished? Like John Wooden, I'm not satisfied until we win 11 national titles. We're on two out of the last four years. We need to get more consistent. Product performance does play a role in our sales numbers, but it's not near as big a role as salespeople would like to think it is. People buy from people. We need to be able to manage through that. So we don't need to use those excuses. Uh, again, Jim, starting to sound like a broken record, but as you've taught me, excuses are, are simply that. Salespeople will use them to find ways about how they can miss their numbers and things of that sort. But at the end of the day, we really need to find ways to work through that. And, and I'm not satisfied for my team or myself till we find a better mousetrap, so to speak, a better process, a better way of meeting our customers' needs and exceeding our customers' needs. We've got that goal of surpassing John Wooden's record, which is pretty amazing in itself. So, Dave, is there one question that I should have asked you today that I didn't? You know, that's a good question in itself. I, I don't know how to convey to people that salespeople really like structure. Although they don't like accountability, salespeople like structure. They like to know what's expected of them, and they like people to bring them tools and ways that they can become better. They truly don't want to be the Lone Ranger out there, and that's the biggest gap in my opinion, between managers and salespeople. And that's probably the biggest gap between great leaders and people that don't lead is doing the heavy lifting. You know, you have to take the time. You have to make the effort to actually lead people and put systems in place to help them become better. They don't expect to just go out there with a brochure and expect to do it on their own. That's probably the biggest challenge I see. Dave, thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Jim. This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. You can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies and how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at PMG. LLC.net.